Our scripture reading today, if you'd like to look it up, is from Isaiah chapter 52, verses 1 to 12. I'll be reading from the NIV. Interesting note, Isaiah's got 66 chapters in the Bible. That's the second most to Psalms. It's got 150. So Isaiah wrote a lot of stuff that came uh, prophesy-wise true. Isaiah 52, 1 to 12. If you have it and you'd like to read out loud with me, you're more than welcome to. Starting verse 1. Awake, awake, Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your new garments of splendor. Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. Daughter Zion, now a captive, for this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day... Long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who proclaim salvation, say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure. You will carry the articles of the Lord's house, but you will not leave in haste or go in flight. For the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. We'll have Pastor Doug come up here and, and uh, say a prayer with him. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up your servant Doug as he leads the message today. Give him your words to speak, fill him with your spirit, and have our ears be receptive to what he has to say to us through you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Bob. <clears throat> um, today, uh, we're entering into the summer season, and the uh, summer series, uh, ser uh, sermon series, connecting with the theme of revitalization. Uh, I've seen it on the brochure, and you'll see that each of the times um, through, through the summer. And as Bob referred to, next week we have a congregational meeting um, where more will be introduced uh, with the discussion, the input, the process that we'll be going through over the next months for us as a congregation. What does revitalization mean? Uh, what, what does it mean for us? 
So the, the three months that we're going to be working with and looking at would be revitalization in Christ. So that'll be kind of the focus of the month of June. In July, it would be revitalization in community. And in August, finishing up revitalization in calling. And, and all three of those kind of, they all go together. So it's not going to be completely separation, but in Christ, in community, and in calling. Uh, scriptures that we'll be using, uh, we'll be following the uh, Sunday school readings from the Renew curriculum. Um, and this month would be from Isaiah, as Bob read already, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and Zechariah, um, Old Testament prophets. And each week, um, as you can see in the bulletin, there will be some additional questions that could be applied within the Sunday school setting uh, for discussion or discussion at home. Um, so those will be there um, each week as well. So revitalization, uh, what does that mean? Um, Webster's Dictionary defines revitalization as to give new life or vigor to. And so that, that assumes that there had been uh, life before. Because it, it, it says to give new life. Or also it currently means that there is life, but it, it, it reinvigorates. It, it, it gives something new. Cambridge Dictionary defines uh, revitalization with a little bit longer description. It says the process of making something grow, develop, or become successful again. And regardless of where you go to look for the dictionary, a common theme of revitalization is that it's a process of restoring something to an active and a fresh condition. So something new. Revitalization occurs in a number of different settings. Uh, you hear of revitalizing an economy. Um, areas of education have gone through revitalization or refocus at different times. Neighborhoods, historic buildings can be revitalized, used in a different way. Towns, churches, local businesses can be revitalized. And, yeah, sports teams frequently are called to be revitalized in different ways, whether that's a new coach that gets hired, new players that get drafted or signed away from other teams, or, you know, recently a new stadium is to revitalize the team. Uh, one example, and this goes along with the kind of the title that I've given, Roll Tide, and I've already been admonished for, you know, Roll Tide and a connection to Alabama. Um, I am no Alabama fan in any way. But uh, from 1958 to 1982, uh, University of Alabama college football team was led by a legendary head coach, Bear Bryant. He had the trademark of being in suit and tie on the sidelines, and he wore a houndstooth patterned fedora on his head for the games. Um, it's a you know, kind of a checkered black and white pattern. 25 years of coaching, six national championships in that time frame, only five of the 25 years with fewer than nine wins for the season. So 20 out of 25 years, nine or more wins. So I mean, very successful, very stable. The next 25 years after he left coaching, from 83 to 2007. Different coaches, different players, still successful, but not that same success. 13 of those 25 years, they had fewer than nine wins. 
And so fans and alumni, just like any fickle sports team that, that we are, we are fickle sports fans, what has happened to our program? What do we need to do to regain success of that previous era? Those were the questions that always go with sports teams. And that age-old question of, well, we want to return to the good old days. Those were good. Those were successful. Then 2008, new coach, uh, different players. I mean, in college, you're there for four years. Different offense, different defense. And so from 2008 through this past season, a 15-year span, Alabama has won at least 10 games every single year. Six national championships over that time frame. Every single year they go into the season ranked and identified as one of the best teams in the nation. Um, even for this coming fall, um, they're already identified on just about every single one of the preseason polls in the top five. So it has been a return to glory for them, a revitalization. Sports teams, again, as I said, they, they have that occur frequently. There's ups and downs. But even for them, there is no guarantee that a new coach, new players provide success. There's no guarantee of that. And so revitalization isn't guaranteed to go exactly the way that we plan. Um, but it doesn't mean that every new leader is going to have a completion to what they envisioned. New leaders, new players, um, a new manner doesn't guarantee everything. There's something very important about revitalization. Again, no guarantee, but what are you focusing it in on? I would say that revitalization is not about returning to the same process and activities from the past just because they worked back then. If the new coaches at Alabama would have come in and said, you know what, back in Bear Bryant's age, this worked. And so we're going to go back and we're going to do whatever that was that Bear Bryant did. Um, they would have lost badly. Playing rules have changed. Recruitment process of players has changed. The means of communicating with potential players and current players is different than those Bear Bryant years. Now, the goal for those football teams has stayed the same. You build the best football team that you can with what you are working with in that current scenario. So I would say the truth of football if you want to call it that, still requires that the rules that are in play are adhered to. And you make a dedication as a coaching staff and as players to the best way that you can be part of that team and grow that team's success. That's the focus. So, so why are we seeking and discussing revitalization? Well, we're not alone in some of this discussion. Every church in North America has had challenges in the past 20 years, very similar. Weekly attendance has fluctuated and gone down. Um, the way that church is interacted with is a little bit different. Um, commitment to community, commitment to a congregation looks different and is viewed a little bit differently. Um, 
So again, we notice that we at Yellow Creek are not alone in some of these questions. And what do we, what do, we do to stay vital in our ministry? So here's just a quick recap of what we as a congregation have processed in recent years. Going back five, six years, uh, we went through a process and a change in affiliation from MCUSA to LMC. That took some time. That took some energy. And then COVID hit with all its concerns, the debates, the effects, the adjustments that were made. Um, but we made our way through that, but it took energy. Uh, we had changes in staffing. First a reduction, then a new hiring. I mean, I'm, I'm part of that change in staffing. Changes in technology that we utilize at Yellow Creek. Um, some of the COVID stuff forced us to become a little bit more tech savvy and increase what we do. And, and that's still a bit of a question of what new things might be available. There's unrest. There were conflicts socially, racially, gender uh, throughout our nation. We saw that on media. We're affected by that. That takes energy to process. What does that mean for our nation? What does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for us as families? And just the, the different pressures that we can see online, on the news, um, those pressures from culture are more easily and quickly viewed than they were 30, 40 years ago. They're right there in front of us. And society in general has become more me-oriented than ever before. Partly social media. Hey, you're, get your voice out there. Again, that's all about me. But you know what? That whole challenge of me is not brand new. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said that you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So denying yourself is something Jesus said way back then. And the reason he was saying it then is because that was a challenge for those people at that time, just as it is for us. It's not about me. So all of these things, and, and there's others that could be listed, those have been and can be energy draws from individuals, from families, from the church in general, and, and things that we've experienced here at Yellow Creek. And it's okay to recognize those, that we're in a, a challenging scenario, maybe a, a compromised scenario, but it's not okay to just resign ourselves to stay there. Evaluate, what, where are we and what can we do to be energized? So we're not the same congregation that we were 30, 40 years ago, but we're still called to serve the same God that that congregation that sat here 30, 40 years ago, and as Bob referred to, 175 years ago, we're still serving the same God. Carl Vaders is a pastor, author, and a speaker uh, from Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Orange County, California, who spoke at a pastor's gathering that I attended at Rosedale uh, last fall. And in one of his presentations, he made this comment of how we are called to respond to change and adjustments within the church. He said, don't do what your founders did. 
think like your founders thought. So I'll say it again. Don't do what your founders did. Think like your founders thought. And I connect that back to Coach Bryant. If today's football coaches would go back and say, hey, here's the way that Coach Bryant at Alabama did it back in the 60s and 70s, that's doing what the founders did. It won't work in today's college football game. Think like they thought. And so that's a bit of what we need to do. So what are we focusing in on as we expect and anticipate? Our thoughts and decisions start with claiming the power of God. In our lives, in this world, and and beyond. And basing our decisions upon his will. His holiness, his faithfulness, his wisdom, and his strength. We need to claim that. We need to recognize that. And keep that at our forefront. And in the songs that we've already sung, we, we've already sung these three songs. I sing the mighty power of God. We sing, How great thou art. We sing, Great are you, Lord. So that's where our focus needs to be, and that's the power we need to cling to. Um, with Isaiah 52, I want to look at a few verses work, uh, going down through what Bob read. And what I want to look at is how are we to recognize the power of God as revitalization occurs? Where where are we energized? And in in his book, Isaiah is speaking to the children of Israel as they're coming out of the Babylonian exile and captivity. And that spanned about 70 years, uh, 608 B.C. to 538 B.C. And the Encyclopedia Britannica makes this comment about that time frame in in, uh, history that although the Jews suffered greatly and faced powerful cultural pressures in a foreign land, they maintained their national spirit and religious identity. They still knew who they were, is what that would be saying. They knew they were children of God. So at verse 1, very beginning, Isaiah tells God's children, Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. And in verse 2, at the end it continues, Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem, free yourselves from the chains on your neck. So, wake up. Shake off the dust. Now, here's a question. How many of you have gone to a sporting event and at some critical juncture in the game... Likely where your team may be behind, you know, looking for a little bit additional energy. You see the cheerleaders or you might see a player on the sideline all of a sudden turn to the crowd and do this, right? What are they asking you to do? Make some noise. Get excited. Okay? And and I see that this same thing is what Isaiah is doing. Hey, Zion, wake up. Claim the strength of God. Get excited, prepare for victory, and to be clothed and surrounded by the identity as a child of his. Shake off the dust, take off your fears and worries. I I see that's what Zion is telling them and telling us. Now, I think the timing of this 
is pretty important because those activities of clothing yourself, shaking off the dust, is that to be done after the victory or is that to be done before the victory? Victory hasn't been identified right here yet. The promise is there. But we're told, rise up, shake off the dust now, before full freedom and the victory occur. So this process is happening and called to happen in anticipation and because of the promises that God has given for release from the Babylonian captivity and persecution. It's done before the actual victory is happening. Um, in 2022, just last year, Christian music artist Benjamin William Hastings wrote a song, and Blessing Offer sings it with him when, when they performed, called That's the Thing About Praise. And part of what that starts with, actually it starts with this. It says, when the rain you want is a flood instead, and the roses bloom but they're not quite red, when I reach the edge of my bravery, I'll still be singing at the banks of an unparted sea. And I want to read that last part again. I'll still be singing at the banks of an unparted sea. Singing before the sea parted. Singing before God moved. Singing before victory occurred. And so, back to the game and the cheerleader example I gave. Are we part of the crowd? Are we part of the spectators where we're sitting and watching the game unfold? And when something exciting happens, then we'll get excited ourselves. Then we'll work. Then, then we'll join the celebration. Or are we one of the players on the field, on the court, and we've already done the practice. We've already anticipated what happens in the middle of the game. And you know what? The players aren't the ones doing this on the, on the court, on the field. They're performing. And they're interacting. They're reacting to what's happening on the field and on the court. They're playing. They're making decisions in the heat of the moment. And you know what? In most cases, the players are much less nervous than those people in the, in the stands. Because the players have already processed, here's how we're going to handle this situation. Here's how we're going to make and take our next steps. Again, no guarantee of success, but they're playing, they're interacting. And I think this is what Isaiah is telling the children of Israel and us, properly claiming who we are in, identi in identity with Christ, Clothe yourselves appropriately to plan for that new life. And the strength that we will have doesn't come from who we are, doesn't come from within. It comes by clothing ourselves in his wisdom and his might. But we're preparing for being excited and victory. If we look to verse 7. Verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. And I've heard a number of different times throughout the years 
the ugliest part of the human body is the foot. And that is in complete contrast to what this just says about feet. The beauty of the feet. But there's a difference in the verse. These feet in verse 7 are not there just for glamour and beauty. To be looked at, fawned over, pictures taken. These feet are active. These feet being described are serving others. They are out on the mountains potentially in a dangerous and challenging setting. And these feet are bringing good news, proclaiming peace, good tidings, salvation. From Barnes Notes commentary uh, concerning some comments that Scottish theologian George Campbell's view of Isaiah's words um, were covered. He, uh, we read this. said, the idea here is that the feet of messengers when they traveled in the dust were naturally offensive and disgusting, but that the messenger of peace and prosperity to those who had been oppressed and afflicted by the ravages of war were so charming as to transform a most disagreeable into a pleasing object. And, And I like the discernment that we have done and continue to do with gifts within the church. Our gifts discernment committee does a great job of trying to identify individuals into different roles and callings. I like how we have individuals that are plugged in and and seek ways to be plugged in. Not everyone is comfortable up front preaching, being part of the praise team up front, teaching a Sunday school class, teaching a small group, um, doing mechanical work around the building. There's different gifts, there's different talents that each of us have. But in my mind, there, there is sometimes an error in a bit of how we go about that process of gifts discernment. Because I think there's times when if we're considering taking on a different role or you know, something we haven't tried, we say, oh my, that's not my gift. And therefore, I won't even consider doing that or being part of that. Whatever that might be. And different roles, it, you know, there's different roles and different opportunities that you don't necessarily have to lead, but you can be a part of something. And I know of many in this congregation who have stepped out in a comfort zone, stretched themselves. And over a year or two's time, have all of a sudden realized, you know what? Why was I nervous at the first opportunity? They grew into it. And they didn't grow into it because they were so smart and wise and they gained all the new knowledge and information. God's working through our willingness to interact, to serve. So it's very possible that my first attempt at something is not going to be smooth. It may be a little dusty. But am I willing to participate in whatever way that I can to grow that kingdom? I don't think God is asking us to step into a role and be completely polished. I think he wants us to be real. And part of that being real is to recognize I'm not necessarily the best at this, whatever this would be. That's all right. I think God is looking for messengers to bring good news, proclaim peace, good tidings, proclaim salvation. 
with their willingness to use their hands and feet in whatever way that may be, to use our voices, to use our lives in active ways. And in all of those ways, what we're claiming is, my God reigns, your God reigns, our God reigns, as we bring that message and we live out that message. And then right after verse 7, verses 8 and 9, show what the results of that message is going to be. I'll, I'll read verses 8 and 9. It says, Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So people are watching within our congregation and outside our congregation. People are waiting to be encouraged, to receive encouragement from God, maybe through me, maybe through you. Now there may be times when within our lives all of a sudden I, I maybe I need to be a spectator and I need to listen and sit and observe. There may be times of depression, anxiety, fear, sadness. And, and those are opportunities and times where we as a congregation, as fellow brothers and sisters of Christ, we need to be ready to encourage each other. You don't know when you may be the messenger or somebody else may be the messenger to you. But regardless, we need to be keeping, spreading the word, spreading that love. I think there are many more times when each of us can be that messenger and the result of that then is that we can burst into songs of joy together. Sharing burdens, sharing cares, sharing times of prayer. Keep looking for those opportunities. And lastly, the second half of verse 12 for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Anything about revitalization is not about us and what we will do about our plans all going to and coming to fruition. Revitalization is about God's power working through us. But we need to be engaged. We must be present to be able to be the hands and the feet. So let us not be afraid. Let us not be timid. It's God who reigns empowering us. But this last part of verse 12 is an encouragement. Directly from God. I also want to read Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God to be with you wherever you go. This past week, um, there was an early morning time where I had a call, was working with something, a decision, and I needed encouragement. And I have a version um, Bible app on my on my phone. I was like, okay, God, I, I need help. 
And this was the verse that was there. And it's a command. It's not a request. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And the reason for that is the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's a command. Now additional verses of encouraging and that promise come from Deuteronomy 31.8. Moses talking to Joshua says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Proverbs 20, 24, the Lord directs our steps, so why try to understand everything along the way? You know, we sing the song, trust and obey. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So how many different ways do we need for reminders and affirmation that God will be with us? He's going to be in front, leading us. He's going to be in back, as Isaiah says, guarding us. He's going to be with us, encouraging us. He's going to be completely encompassing us and guiding our steps with his light. So as we look to be revitalized as a congregation, as a church, in connection with other churches that are seeking the same thing for revitalization. We need to be ready to be revitalized, first as individuals and as families. Neither of those things happen without God being at the center of our lives. And we need to remind ourselves and one another, encourage one another of his power and might, his words, and our reliance on him for strength, for wisdom. And we need to commit and to focus on the fact that our God reigns and live that out accordingly. Don't be tentative. Our God reigns. David Crowder released a song back in 2016 called Run, Double, Run, which he sings about the daily battle that our hearts are being attacked, our lives are being attacked by Satan. I mean, he's wagering sin to discourage us, to win us over. In one section of the song, Crowder lists what we have at our disposal to combat and withstand Satan's influence. And it goes like this. I got the king of kings. And the Lord of hosts, I got angel armies and the Holy Ghost. I got spirit filled, baptized by fire. I got a valley of bones that came alive. I got a cross, a hill and an empty grave. I got a trumpet sound and one sweet name. Shake the gate of hell, it's finished and done. I got my Jesus and the devil got to run. Nowhere in that song, nowhere in what I've just read, is Crowder making the claim that I've got this. That's what our culture will tell you. You've got this. You are empowered. You take 
You take the reins. You control it all. <laughs> no, we don't. We haven't got this. The Holy Spirit does. Jesus does. God does. University of Alabama used the phrase roll tide, roll tide roll. And that's part of their cheers and their celebrations for the sports team. They're, they're known as the Crimson Tide. So thus, roll tide roll. And they celebrate the glory of their teams by rolling over other teams. I mean, they, they are very successful. Roll tide roll. And they take glory in themselves. They take glory in that game of football. And we as Christians, what are we going to celebrate? What are we going to take glory in? It's not ourselves, but it's based on Jesus Christ and the power of God, our living Father. But we need to be ready to roll. We need to be ready with our willing hands and feet of his using his power through us. We need to be ready to be part of the wave of joy, peace, love, and the message of salvation as messengers. Let it roll. We need to be active messengers with beautiful feet. And we need to be players on the court prepared to do his work and his will. So as we look to be revitalized together, may God empower us and may God lead us as we take our steps. So I invite the team forward.